From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers. I'm David Bolander, editor of Finance and Commerce. Thanks so much for joining. Beyond the Skyline is sponsored by Ironmark Building Company. Whether it's a new luxury apartment building in the North Loop or expanding the community in the suburbs, Ironmark builds quality projects for discerning clients. Ironmark's foundation is built on a culture of collaboration with clients and projects that stand the test of time. Talk to Ironmark's award-winning team about your next construction project today. Go to ironmarkbuildingco.com. In this episode, recently retired Metro Transit planner John Dillery talks to FNC reporter Brian Johnson. During his 44 years with Metro Transit, Dillery contributed to studies that helped bring rail back to the Metro. Dillery also discusses his interests in streetcars, his planning efforts, and his retirement plans. All right. Well, I'm pleased to be joined by John Dillery, recently retired from Metro Transit, I understand. And John was a senior planner there with Metro Transit. And um, John, thank you for taking some time to chat. How are you doing and how's retirement so far? Well, it's it's (laughs) (laughs) I try not to change too much my daily routine. I've read someplace it's wise not to you know, change drastically change anything like your sleep hours or what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far, that's what I've been doing um, with the remote community, the telecommuting that mm-hmm. we were allowed to do. Uh, I was doing it for uh, two days a week normally, but with all the flexibility that we've had for years and years anyway, and then the flexibility about what days I can telecommute, it's seems odd. It's not as drastic a transition, I think, than the traditional Monday through Friday, you come into the office every day kind of commuting and work situation. So mm-hmm. I think it kind of softens the transition a little to be uh, in the telecommute mode somewhat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so far, so good. I've got other interests I'm trying to think about, at least. The other thing I've read some places, and people have told me who've retired recently, give yourself time uh, it's not unusual for a couple of months to pass before you decide to, what are some new interests I really want to engage in. Mm-hmm. I'm not in a hurry. So, so you just, there are things on my mind. So there are things I'm thinking about a lot. I've been for Okay. So how long were you at Metro Transit and when was your last day? I started in August, or excuse me, April 27th, 1978. Uh, worked there until December 9th, last Friday. So it's uh, 44 years and eight months and some change. So this retirement thing is really new to you just last Friday. Um, so congrats on that. Um, just looking back, I was looking at your bio from Metro Transit that they sent out. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. just to start at the beginning, it looks like you grew up in Matamida, is it? And yeah. had a and had kind of a fascination with streetcars. Can you tell that story? And is that sort of sure. what piqued your interest in transit? Yeah, no, in a way it did. Yes, Matamida is a East Shore community of White Bear Lake. Uh, it's an old resort town. It started uh, 
before it was ever incorporated in the 1930s, it was pretty well populated in the summer months with summer cottagers. And um, my family, my dad's family had gone back to uh, 1910, or roughly, when they had, uh, my father's grandfather had bought some property because it was cheap in the early 20th century. And uh, as an investment, I guess, and uh, on the East Shore, and uh, he had, um, the story is the family camped out in the summer, you know, like you would up in a state park or something, and uh, on the East Shore and the property, and then uh, they built a cottage. And uh, my, I remember, well, my grandparents lived there. My grand, uh, I remember my grandmother very well lived there. And we, uh, with my mother's help, we inherited it. So I stayed there. My wife and I lived there for a while. And uh, we heard about streetcars growing up because uh, it was actually an inner urban, you know, a suburban extension, fairly high speed uh, operation extension of Twin City Lines, uh, Randolph Hazel Park Line, North St. Paul, and it went past North St. Paul and private right of way and got up to speeds. Well, the streetcars didn't have speedometers. <laughs> and that fascinated me too. And uh, rocketed along pretty well in my. My father's sister, my aunt, uh, she remembers riding. She remembered and told me stories about how the streetcar swayed. But better than that, you could still walk the right of way where the tracks were. The track was mm. it just a block from where I grew up, up in the woods. We called it the streetcar, the trolley path, streetcar path. And it's still there. And uh, you can still walk a lot of it. And I would find our, uh, bits and pieces of old hardware, the old ties and things. And it really kind of evocative, huh? Makes you wonder, what was yeah. this? So they told me all about it. My dad drew me a, a floor plan of the traditional standard streetcar and showed me where stuff was. And, uh, and I said, wow, this is really interesting. So I always had it in my mind, you know. I tried to build my own little homemade railroad out of scrap lumber in the backyard <laughs> when I was in Hawaii. I guess mm -hmm. that's a station. <laughs> uh, then I uh, started getting more and more interested and then uh, went to uh, high school out there in Matamirai and then... Uh, mm -hmm the cast about i thought i'd be an architect uh or engineer uh pre-computer i really had trouble trying to hack calculus so i kind of gave up ran into a wall and i said now what am i going to be and i said well geography and maps really fascinate me so i'll see there's a geography major you can have so i, I went into that wound up at that at the university of minnesota and when i was at the university of minnesota i learned about the streetcar museum hmm. Minnesota Transportation Museum was called then, so today's uh, Minnesota Streetcar Museum. Hmm. And uh, I started, I went out there, and lo and behold, here was a full-size survivor, a streetcar, very much like what used to run out there in my hometown. Oh, my hmm. gosh, I have to be able to get in it and ride it. So I volunteered and got to be an operator. Hmm. And one of the people operating with me on and off was working for... Uh, in the executive branch of the Metropolitan Transit Commission, and he mm -hmm. built. And uh, he said, well, you're so fascinated with transportation, you know, you could maybe look at getting a job with MTC. Of course, became Metro Transit later. And I said, well, okay. Uh, it should have been a warning to me. There was uh, economic uh, budget problems in about 1977, and uh, mm -hmm. they weren't hiring anybody. Opposite problem of today. Uh, mm -hmm. I couldn't get a job as a driver. I thought I'd start as a driver and see how work my way off in the path. Really interesting. Uh, 
way uh, nowadays still get ahead starting as a driver in the transit business that well now what am i going to do so i talked to bill and he said uh don't give up john they're um i just heard they're going to hire interns again this uh this year and you're at the university of minnesota right so yeah so why don't you go apply as an intern so i did mm. and i i just never left mm. i was i was interviewed by some of the old time guys who have been working at uh twin city lines and then mtc and these guys went back to the uh late 1930s wow real old veterans so it was yeah a bridge between old style transit management practices and then the modern day i've yeah. seen a lot of that's how i got started wow. 44 years that's quite a run you don't see that very often anymore staying in one uh, in the transit business uh, it seems to be a, a, a saying and people agree with me this tends to be true you're either it's maybe like a lot a lot of logistical businesses like railroads and transit mm -hmm. similar you're either a short timer mm -hmm. you're off or you're a lifer mm -hmm. and there's not mm -hmm. much in between so I worked with a couple of guys or, or until I retired. I was working with a couple of guys who actually were a year or so or three up on me. Wow. And we had something like a century and a half of combined experience. Wow. That's crazy. So it's, yeah. it's, it's transit business. It, and I've talked to other people in transit business over the years at conferences and such. And actually, the phenomenon is fairly universal. I, I had an uncle who worked for the railroad for many years, and I remember right. he 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 died a long time ago. But he had a little they gave him a plaque or something uh, upon sure. his retirement, and it said there was a little saying. It said, um, "They won't let me drive the train or even ring the bell, but if this train should jump the tracks, then see who catches hell." <laughs> I always remember that. But uh, anyway. It sounds like it must have been a fulfilling career for you. Can you just reflecting back, um, talk a little yeah. bit about some of the major projects or initiatives you worked on? Once the uh, planning department came rebuilt or reconfigured in about nineteen early nineteen eighties, and they figured out what to do with us planners and. Uh, analysts and such. We and the reason I'm saying that is transit business was hit so hard by declines in the 50s, 60s, and started turning around in the 70s when we went to public ownership and there was new money to invest in doing things. Mm. Uh, they had downsized drastically so much. Uh, Twin City Lines had that they didn't have a planning department anymore. They didn't have any. They basically were more in a reactive mode all the time. The schedulers, the guys who wrote the schedules, and I mean literally wrote them by hand. I still mm -hmm. remember the big piece of green line paper. I like the railroads. I mean, computerization was resisted by the old school. They had clerk typists to type up special schedules on big, broad carriage typewriters. Anyway, we didn't even have planning as a notion, so they didn't know what to do mm -hmm. with us. So at first, we did all sorts of other duties as assigned, which today mm -hmm. are done by people who put the signs in the shelters and people that respond to customer relations. Uh, so it's kind of boot camp. But once they figured out what to do, we started to work on some really interesting projects. Um, Metro Council, 
I have to deal with this hard truth. A Metro Council was in a very reactionary mode in the 1970s into the 80s, where the people running the, the outfit and the, especially the staff didn't even want to talk about anything on rails. Uh, mm. It had to be buses. And they didn't even, honestly, to really call their bluff back in the day, they didn't even get interested in bus lanes and things. Um, mm. The Nickel Mall was a bus lane because the city of Minneapolis got more support from the federal government and to get the project going by saying it would be transit and pedestrian. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. So, we, you know, it wasn't because Twin City Lines and Metro Transit Commission were pushing that hard. I mean, it, they wanted it, sure, but it wasn't like it was, they weren't on the vanguard of it. They more or less came along with the ride. And that's great. And, you know, Marquette second bus lanes and other lanes that came along too. But they wouldn't talk about rail. Uh, once in a while they would, but normally they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Now, county commissioners, Hennepin County especially, some key ones, John Darris was a key man. He, he uh, may have heard the name, was, got so frustrated with his reactionary position on the part of Met Council that they said, well, heck with it. We'll just form our own uh, county rail authority, at least temporarily, you know, or something to get this thing going because we really want to study light rail transit. You know, they're doing San Diego on old railroad right of way. We've got some opportunities here. We're nuts not to do it. So long story short, we have regional rail authorities, mm-hmm. in fact, because the Metro Council didn't want to play ball. Now, that taught me a hard lesson. It said, boy, if you're, if you're dealing with people that just react and don't think ahead, you know, wind up splintering off, and you're gonna, you know, it's gonna be very hard to coalesce and have true good regional planning. You know, and so the lesson to me was learn and oh, it's not easy for me always. Listen, mm-hmm. write down what they're saying, say that, you know. So one of the first projects myself and my some of my colleagues worked on in 1981, and I found the papers just when I was cleaning up my office, mm-hmm. was connecting bus service around the Southwest light rail line, and indeed a whole, about five different light rail lines recommended by the people at Hennepin County, and then Ramsey County came along. So I did connecting bus service planning in a very schematic and manual way, starting in 1980. Wow. That was my big first big project. So Mm -hmm. we got all charged up about it. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, uh, the leadership was just so uncertain that these things just went fallow. So mm-hmm. pure, you know, systems, other metro areas around the United States, uh, we're moving ahead with saying, let's build something and try it. You know, we mm-hmm. don't have to do everything, but let's try something. Uh, and in the meantime, you know, the Twin Cities is just, you know, not doing anything. Yeah. Um, and so, but we did all these studies and, and we did, we routed, we designed routes. That's basically what I've done most of my bus routes that were efficient lengths so that a bus could make it a round trip and cycle with every time and driver can yeah. you know schedules an efficient way and then speed certain lo- local areas around the rail lines coming in at stations and told the people designing the service the rail line here's what much space you need for buses at these stations here's what's going to come here and of course mm-hmm. there were people at Hennepin County that and this became a theme mm-hmm. sadly uh, who didn't have realistic ideas about what you could do and so we had fellows <laughs> who were insisting at the county, especially that you must design your bus service so that you're not spending any money on 
new bus service at all. You just have to break even. You know, whatever you spend on the rail service, you've mm-hmm. got to save on the bus side. Mm-hmm. And uh, people, you can interview people all over the world who've done this kind of design work, planning work, and they'll say, uh, no, that's not a realistic idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, although sometimes we were lucky enough we could do like with the uh, green line between St. Paul and Minneapolis, which we did a preliminary plan for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we found out that we were very lucky. There was a lot of bus savings we could uh, put in the bank to, and we could do a lot of service improvements. But, you know, you got to be realistic. So the next thing I moved on to when that 1980s rail planning went fallow was to get into it. We started to call sector studies, which started in a small way in about 1990. And uh, we were getting some new management at the time uh, that were more forward looking. Uh, And they were actually Metro Transit Commission, basically people, because the Metro Transit, Metropolitan Transit Commission finally decided that hiring a contract management firm, which was based out of Cincinnati, Ohio, a Mm for-profit management firm, uh, it just wasn't really proving to be a good thing. So it, I think it was a very encouraging part of uh, changes that happened in about the 80s, that late 80s, that now you can start to plan uh, mm. because we're really going to start looking at There were some big movements to put in new express bus service in mm. the 70s. A lot of the freeway expresses started then in the 70s, 80s. But they put them in so fast that they didn't really take a holistic look at all the local service that was working in the same corridors, which mm-hmm. isn't what you do because mm-hmm. you wind up duplicating things and not coordinating things very well. Mm-hmm. So here I was, I said, Hey, let's, let's try to coordinate. So I got the education in that time in my career. Let's be really thinking hard about a network, everything working together. Mm-hmm. You would think it might almost sound obvious to you. Well, sure. Mm-hmm. It's not just a bus line. It's it's a member of a whole family of routes, and they have to work together. And by mm-hmm. the way, everybody knows the Twin Cities metro area has got multi nodes or mm-hmm. sprawl, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of places to go. So a node mm-hmm. is you know a place where people want to go is a node. It can be shopping, it can be uh, work, school, uh, and you've got to have people connecting. Uh, well, this was mm-hmm. a new notion, mm. and um, mm. not not everywhere around the world, but around here. Right. So I focused a big project of mine was learning more about how you can make transfers work well. You want to talk to experts in what's called time transfer. Mm-hmm. So basically, routes line up at the same time. Operators see each other. Ideally, you're they hold for a moment. You're you're allowed to really be sure and guaranteed as you possibly can be especially in the winter that you can get. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, you know, it's the old thing about, well, all the transit routes go downtown. What if I don't want to go downtown? Well, of course, that's a gross oversimplification. Mm-hmm. But uh, we took it to heart. And next big project I had in the late 1990s was, and it kind of came out of making a network that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That, well, it seems like a small thing, but it really got to be a problem. We didn't have a sensible route numbering system. We had mm. two route fives, one in St. Paul, one in Minneapolis. Mm. They're nothing like each other. We had two route mm. fours. We had two route fourteens. We had, you know, yeah. and, and now, and I said, wait a minute, 
So I was put in charge. This was like the first project I was really put in charge of and saying, John, you yeah. figure it out. Plan mm-hmm. What's best practices? So I made some calls, you know, mm-hmm. pre-internet pretty much, right? Yeah, you know? right. And uh, got some contacts. And there were a couple of different ways to do route numbering. And mm-hmm. uh, so I basically redesigned the route regional route numbering system, which is pretty much intact now. Some of the management got new ideas about what to call mm-hmm. a light rail line. Mm-hmm. They were going to yeah. be the 50 series originally, yeah. and they were. The Hiawatha line was the 55, you know, wow. Highway 55. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And then uh, the management said, oh, I like colors. Let's call it the blue line. So, yeah. Uh, whatever. Sure. <laughs> a good system yeah. that you design is flexible, you know, a good scheme and be modified and still makes sense, right? Right. So right. that's what I did. So I'm really proud of regional route numbering. And to this day, yeah. I'll have people that have to remember what route is where will thank yeah. me and say, well, yeah, yeah, all the uh, 200 series are north and east of St. Paul and all the 300s are east yeah. of St. Paul like Woodbury and all that, et cetera. And that, that was my. And then after that, we got into sector by sector studies. And mm. finally, we started to get serious about something other than buses. And we had our first light rail line. 2004 and i was very much involved in it. yeah i was there when they broke ground on that project then governor jesse ventura was there and i remember talking to him he was a pretty big proponent of that uh what they called the hiawatha rail line at the time and um but that was right uh, and we probably wouldn't have it if it weren't for jesse ventura yeah one thing we talk one thing we we hear a lot about now is uh not just the transit lines themselves, but how they can be attract uh, development of apartments and other things of that nature. Was that mm-hmm. was that something that was on their radar back in the early '80s or late '70s when you started out? Uh, did did they even think in those terms that this could be a springboard for more development? You didn't hear that message, which is a truth, um, consistently or clearly. And uh, it, in hindsight, it's quite astonishing to me that that connection wasn't promoted more. Mm-hmm. In the Metro Council's pro-bus Uberales era back there in the early 80s, they basically said, well, just fund us well enough and we will be able to do wonderful things and trust us. And um, here's a big lesson I learned. And I made this note in my little retirement speech I made. Mm-hmm. There wasn't this understanding, but to me, it's as clear as the nose on my face when I looked in the mirror. Providing a good transit network anywhere is only 50% the responsibility of the people operating the transit system. It's about community, right? You cannot do it all by yourself. 50% of the responsibility, and I I think this message needs to be shouted from the rooftops a lot more. 50% of the responsibility for providing an effective, good transit network, a realistic one, you know, that'll meet the needs and especially Mm -hmm. equitable. We hear that word a lot today, don't we? Providing the service, most service to the people that need it most. Mm -hmm. Okay. 50% 50% of that responsibility is, responsibility is the communities. Community is neighborhoods. You grow up in the neighborhood appreciating the transit system and valuing it. You wouldn't think to 
vandalize it or you wouldn't think to hit punch a driver or do anything like that because you're just wrecking your own life. You see the big picture. You understand the mm-hmm. community. You know, mm-hmm. your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, your brother, you ride, benefit from the service. You value the service. The city. The cities have to support transit system, and it's everything from always including where transit routes need to run to be most efficient, do the job the best, cost-effective, by providing the right transit paths, streets, good about transit lanes, priorities, work with the businesses to say, look, uh, I know you want curb parking here, but you know the greater good is we really need a bus stop here. Mm-hmm. We'll put parking around the corner, you know, simple things like that. That's community supporting transit. That's giving good soil so the garden will grow. Mm-hmm. The transit system is planters putting the vegetables in. The community is providing the good soil and water and everything to support it. You've got to have the cities think carefully about when they tear up streets to rebuild them, to try to do it as quickly and efficiently as they can, and also to try to minimize the severe impacts that can occur on the transit lines to make sure that they don't get so slow or inconvenient or worse, unreliable because of your construction project. You'd think it would be a given. Hmm. My experience over 44 years plus is that it is not a given. Hmm. We have to keep reminding ourselves. The state, Hmm. the counties, the counties have to do the same thing as the cities. In most metro areas, you go around the country and the world, the county level of government does basically all the heavy lifting about funding transit, the operations, and everything. We don't do that here. Mm-hmm. We keep going to the state legislature and say the state legislature is going to solve all our problems. And you probably know this. That is not the normal governmental structure in most of our states around the United States of America. Most places, the state will set the policies and say, now, here's what you are going to do, metro area counties. You are going to work with this metro council, your regional government. You're going to be working it out in a way that you all feel things are credibly done. There's accountability, you know, that you are levying your taxes to pay for your transit system. The mm-hmm. role of government. You're going to you're going to do it. Your job now. The state's role, of course, is to facilitate that and not to micromanage. So you don't have the legislature telling you, well, you can't run, uh, you can't do planning for a rail line here because my constituents don't like it. Mm-hmm. Most places in the United States, that's unheard of. But it's our history. So, you know, state responsibility is part of the community. Then the federal government's part of the community to make sure that state and multi-state transit, Amtrak, regional services all knit together. You see, it's one big network that goes on and on if we look at it that way. So my lesson is be careful that you're looking at the project of providing good public transportation realistically. 50% of the job is the transit providers work and provide good, reliable service you can count on that's stable. 50% of the job is the community to support it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, everybody has to have a stake in it. So, um, Right. Everyone has to have a stake and everyone has to be accountable. Yeah. So what... uh, uh, I think we can. What what, uh, we talked a little bit before we... uh, Just when we started, but do you have any big plans now for retirement? Are you going to go travel the world and, and uh, travel the uh, light rail systems around Europe? And I, there's a lot of, yeah, that's right, Brian. There's a, there's a lot of traveling I've been kind of putting off. Mm-hmm. I've got some friends, uh, my mom's uh, 
friends and their their kids that live in France and I haven't mm -hmm. seen them for decades, mm -hmm. you know, and I'd like to go back and see them, uh, visit them. Uh, I'd like to uh, travel around the country a little bit more. There's a lot of trips I have taken. I love uh, train travel, get a nice sleeper car and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, food and, and see the country. And I've had some very enjoyable trips, not as many as I'd like. Mm -hmm. And on that subject, I would like very much to work with uh, National Railroad, uh, National Association of Railroad Passengers and its uh, local outgrowth known as All Aboard Minnesota. Mm -hmm. I've you've heard of them. All Aboard Minnesota is a grassroots organization working hard to restore, it's the right word, restore our Midwest network of passenger trains, passenger and parcel post and trains and things. Mm -hmm. And I have this vision of hub and spoke ground transportation in the United States starting at the Midwest and uh, mm. where if we could at least have three departures every 24 hours, about eight hours apart, how we could get a lot of places that we really can't right now. Mm -hmm. uh, indeed, there are a lot of third world countries that have more complete network of ground transportation, public transportation options mm. than we have here in Minnesota. I dare mm. say we can do better. Yeah. And I am going to spend a lot of time, I think, in the coming years on that, working with those organizations, because there's, mm. I think there's been missing a vision of how the network could work and how you could actually apply it in your life. How you'd say, oh, I could take that train leaving at eight o'clock in the morning and I could be that next big hub and I could make a connection, you know, within eight hours later, you know, and I could go all these places. So that's yeah. exciting to think about. So I have some dreams. That is exciting, and, and uh, hats off to you for continuing continuing to work in that and share your knowledge and wisdom that you've gained over all these years. And maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll run into you on one of those trains or buses, yeah. uh, you know, in the in the future, and uh, we'll be yeah. sure to say hi. Sure, follow up and keep yeah, keep talking. Uh, I guess yeah. I'm sort of a transportation addict, so <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, that's that's a good a, a a good addiction I think to have. So, John, John, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, and uh, best wishes in your retirement, sir. Oh, thank you, Brian Johnson. It's very very uh, kind of you to look me up and uh, appreciate the opportunity.